Hey folks, Andy Patton here to preview Gonzaga's big ESPN bout with the BYU Cougars on Thursday night. We're also going to take a look at whether Gonzaga should be the number one team in the country on Monday and a look around the rest of the WCC and their upcoming games this week. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. Don Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash NCAA for special end-of-the-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day and those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. We hit 250 subscribers earlier today on Wednesday as I'm recording this. I appreciate every single one of you who has subscribed to the podcast. I also appreciate those of you who have listened to the show on YouTube or listens to it, however else you listen to the podcast. But I would love it if you would go to youtube.com, search Locked on Zags, hit that subscribe button. It's a really big favor for me, and I really appreciate all of you in the Gonzaga community who have done that and will do that. Now, for today's episode, we're going to talk a lot about the BYU Cougars, of course, Gonzaga's big game on Thursday night, one of the biggest games of the WCC slate for the Zags. BYU has had a, an interesting season. They're 14-3 and three on the year. They have some really nice wins. Obviously, they beat St. Mary's for anybody who, <laughs> who watched that game. was It was a bit of a slog to get through. Neither team was shooting the ball particularly well, and both of these are very good defensive teams. So when you factor in the fact that the guys weren't also shooting well, it was a really tough game to watch. But BYU did win that game. They have two nice Pac-12 wins over Oregon and Utah. They also beat Utah State and San Diego State, which is a win that looks better and better by the day, as the Aztecs have proven they're one of the better teams on the West Coast. Now, BYU also has three losses. Their losses are to Utah Valley, Creighton, and Vanderbilt. None of those are great losses. Creighton's probably the best of those losses. But we've seen some times where BYU has really kind of faltered. The biggest thing that's happened to them this season is the loss of both Gavin Baxter and Richard Harward for the year for injuries. It's been a tremendously, tremendous bummer for Gavin Baxter for his just entire career as a BYU basketball player. He's had health issues that have impacted him basically every single season. If I'm not mistaken, this is his third consecutive year suffering a season-ending injury. Just a really tough go for a kid who I think is is really talented and could really help this BYU team, just like he would have helped the last couple of years as well. But unfortunately, he is out. We've seen BYU struggle on the glass since his departure. They're just not a big team, and they've they've had that that impact of them against Vanderbilt, and it's going to continue to impact them throughout the season. They secured a, a win against the probably second biggest team in the WCC in St. Mary's. So hopefully that kind of will help jumpstart them a little bit throughout the rest of the season, but that's going to be a big factor on Thursday. We're going to get to that in a second. I want to talk a little bit more about BYU. They're defensively excellent. 
This is a team that's been giving up just under 62 points per game. That is 33rd in the country in points per game. And like I said, they've played a lot of good teams. You know, San Diego State, they're not the greatest scoring team in the world, but they're good. Oregon, Utah, those are good teams. So this is a this is a team that can hold even good teams. Now, they haven't faced anybody like Gonzaga, but this is a team that's proven they can hold good teams to bad shooting nights. They're only scoring 73 points per game, though, which is 163rd in the country, so almost exactly in the middle, slightly above average uh, for Division I teams in the country. So not a great scoring team, a very good defensive team. Gonzaga is, of course, a good scoring team who has also proven very capable on the defensive end of the floor, so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out. I want to do my typical pregame five things to watch. We're going to go through those here really quickly. And then on Friday's episode, we'll discuss them and kind of how, how it ended up shaking out for the game. The first one is pretty simple. How does Gonzaga guard Alex Barcelo? Alex Barcelo has been so good this season. He's been so good throughout his collegiate career, a very, very talented player. BYU always has one or two really, really good guards on their roster. They always have. They did they they do they always have under Mark Pope at least uh, he's averaging 16 and a half points per game he's shooting just under 47% from 3 47% he's just about knocking down half of his three point attempts again this is something he has always been really really good at for Gonzaga he's going to be a problem i'm curious whether Gonzaga chooses to take the strategy of let's make everybody else beat us which is a strategy they have i've seen them do this a lot in the Mark Few era. Now, frequently it's been against teams that are not as well-rounded as BYU. BYU is, gets most of their scoring from Barcelo. He does a lot of the legwork for this team, but they still have other guys who can really hurt you. This isn't, you know, to use an example that's, that comes out to mind, this isn't LMU in the Anthony Ireland era. You know, that was when I was in college, and I remember distinctly that Anthony Ireland would score 30 every time Gonzaga played LMU, but LMU as a team would score like 55, and Gonzaga would beat him by 25 points. I don't think Gonzaga is going to be able to successfully implement that strategy here, but I am curious if they're going to spend a lot of energy trying to stop Barcelo from getting looks, or if they're just going to kind of clamp down everybody else and accept that, hey, this is a good shooter, he's going to get some good shots, and but if we stop everybody else, we're going to be okay. And then, of course, the next thing to watch was kind of touched on a little bit earlier. How does BYU react to this size advantage? Like, they're, they're, this, is, this is the biggest team they're going to play all year long. And every single team Gonzaga plays has to figure out how they're going to handle the biggest dudes that they're going to face all year in Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy. And then, of course, Anton Watson, who's been playing extraordinarily off the bench. There is no reprieve for BYU's big men. And right now they just don't have a lot of big men. Their biggest guy who plays regularly is Atiki Ally Atiki. He's a six foot nine freshman uh, on the season. Overall, he's averaging eight minutes per night. That has gone up considerably in the last couple of games in part because he has been playing well in part because they just don't have a lot of size and a lot of depth in the front court. So it'll be interesting to see what they try to do here. Are they going to go zone? Are they going to push Gonzaga to shoot more threes? Are they going to clamp down on Drew Timmy as soon as he gets the ball and double team him immediately? Are they going to foul him the way that Alabama did successfully in that game? What are we going to see this team do? Are they going to try to implement a similar Baylor type strategy or Tarleton State uh, where they pressure Gonzaga's guards as soon as they get across half court and make it more difficult to get the ball in Drew Timmy's hands. They don't really have the personnel for that, but I think that they could try it. It has certainly been successful against Gonzaga at times this year, 
and it seems like it's a bad strategy to wait till Drew Timmy gets the ball before you do anything. Lots of teams have tried that. Zero teams have succeeded at that, except maybe Alabama. And even then, it was kind of just a, a, a culmination of a lot of factors that caused Gonzaga to lose that game. Number three, I already touched on this too. How does Gonzaga look beyond the arc? Part of that is going to be how BYU decides to defend them. I think there's a chance that Mark Pope and BYU attempt to pack it in, really prevent Drew Timmy from getting the ball and force Gonzaga's guards to beat them with the outside shot. Tech tried to do this. It didn't work. Gonzaga won that game in part because they shot extremely well from beyond the arc. I have to imagine that was not something that Texas Tech was expecting to happen. Now that Mark Pope and BYU have seen this, they've seen that it can work. Maybe they'll be a little bit more hesitant to enact that strategy. It's probably what I would do as somebody who's not an experienced Division I head basketball coach. I would think that make Gonzaga prove it, make them prove that they can beat you from beyond the arc again, because we know that Drew Timmy can beat them. We, we know definitively that Drew Timmy being allowed to be where he wants to be on the court and catch the basketball where he wants to catch the basketball is a almost certain recipe for losing. But making Gonzaga beat you from the outside, you can win that way. So I think that's probably what BYU is going to try to do. And I'm very curious to see how Gonzaga responds, how the outside shot looks. Are they you know consistent? Are they smooth from beyond the arc in the ways that they were against Tech? Do we see a team that kind of ebbs and flows and maybe struggles a little bit more in this game. And if that's the case, how do they react? How do they respond? How do they still figure out a way to secure a victory? And then the last two things, uh, is there any jawing with Caleb Lohner? For those of you who missed this on Twitter, Caleb Lohner during a media availability before this game said that they're excited to try to get a win here and that everybody hates Gonzaga, which I want to be clear. I obviously disagree with Caleb Lohner here, but also adore and love that he is saying this. We need rivalries. It's kind of a bummer that BYU is not going to be in the conference much longer because they have served as a very good rival for Gonzaga. They're one of the few teams that has beaten Gonzaga multiple times recently. Obviously, St. Mary's is kind of the other team that has had this long-standing rivalry with Gonzaga, but there hasn't been a lot of like player-fueled distaste between these two teams that I can recall. Certainly Omar Samhan was very notable in that regard. Matthew Delavadova as well. And I'm sure there have been guys since then who have jawed a little bit, but in recent years with St. Mary's, I don't remember that sticking out in a major way. I don't remember it with Jock Landale or Emmett Nahr or Jordan Ford or any of those guys. Maybe I'm misremembering, but with with BYU, we have it now. With <laughs> Caleb Lohner has made himself that person. He was a freshman last year. He gave Gonzaga some fits, sophomore this year, a couple more years of him being there. Hopefully that spawns some kind of a little bit of you know, good-natured vitriol between the two sides, uh, because I think that it's always good to have some to have somebody that you dislike, or to use his words, to have somebody that you hate. That's fine. You can hate Gonzaga. You can hate BYU. That is okay. And Loner Loner has made himself that person right now for BYU. He hasn't been very good on the basketball court. And I'm not just saying that to kind of stir more of this up. He really hasn't. He's a decent defensive player and he seems to know what he's supposed to do on offense, but the shots are not falling. He's a terrible outside shooter. He's not a good two-point shooter. He's a bad free throw shooter. He just is offensively really struggling. He's a good rebounder, but against Gonzaga, against the bigs that he's going to have to face, I think he's going to really struggle in this game. And, and I don't know uh, if people are going to blame these comments on any kind of that, uh, if that's going to be something that comes up in this game is something I'm certainly going to be watching for. 
And then finally, the number five thing is, does Caden Perry return? Slash, does he get a chance to play? He may be healthy. He may be able to go in this game, but there's a chance he does not get into the game if BYU is able to keep this thing close for a full 40 minutes, which is very, very possible, borderline probable for a team that is, you know, 24th in the country, according to Ken Palm. This is a good team. So Gonzaga is not going to run away with it the way that they frequently do in conference play. But I would love to see Caden Perry get a few minutes here and there if they're able to get him into the game, if he's healthy, of course, enough to play. He missed the last game with some recurring back issues. This has been a problem for him. Since he was in high school, I was thrilled to see him start the season out healthy. I wasn't sure we would even get that, but he's been healthy, save for a few games. Hopefully, He's back. He's able to play just a few minutes in this one, but I certainly would not be surprised if we don't see him either because of the injury or because they just end up sticking with Watson, Timmy and Holmgren in the front court. All right. That's a quick primer on the Cougars before Thursday's game. In the second segment, I want to talk about the case for Gonzaga to be the number one ranked team on Monday. That is of course, assuming they win their two games this week, knock on wood there. But before we get there, let's talk about Bilt Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Built Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Built Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BuiltBar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. Hey Zags fans, Andy Patton here with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about called GetUpside. My listeners are making up to $0.25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code SCORE and you'll get a bonus $0.25 per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to $0.50 cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code SCORE to get up to $0.50 per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as $200 to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code SCORE to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, switching away from talking about the BYU game on Thursday night. Instead, going to discuss, maybe preemptively, going to discuss what the polls might look like on Monday. There was a very exciting day of college basketball on Tuesday evening. It's going to be an exciting weekend of college basketball as well. A lot of movement at the top. It's another one of those seasons, similar to 2012-2013, where it seems like nobody is going to hold on to the top spot in the rankings for all that long. It's finally starting to come down to the two teams that... Frankly, we should have all expected it to come down with. That is, of course, Baylor and Gonzaga. But on Tuesday night, Texas Tech, the Red Raiders, beat Baylor. The number one ranked team in the country fell to Texas Tech in one of their first conference games of the year. Beyond that, Auburn, the number four ranked team in the country, defeated Alabama, who was at the time ranked 24th in the country, will now be unranked next week. USC, the number five ranked team in the country, lost to Stanford. 
So they are going to fall in the rankings. Purdue and Duke have recently lost as well. They are down in the low, like just above 10 in the rankings right now. Of course, you still have Arizona is still squarely in this conversation as a team that's probably going to move up a few spots. But right now it kind of looks like the number one spot is going to be between either Baylor remaining there, even after losing a game, Auburn jumping all the way up to number one. Gonzaga, of course, in that conversation as well. UCLA, they were third in the polls. I have a really hard time seeing any reason besides a Gonzaga loss this week where you UCLA would jump in front of Gonzaga. Gonzaga not only beating you at UCLA earlier in the year, but really beating them badly, I think is going to help keep them away from them in the polls. It's one of those things where one-on-one situations should not always be taken into account. Certainly, I think there's plenty of argument for Gonzaga ahead of Duke in the standings, definitely now where they are ahead of Duke, but even earlier in the season when they were a lot closer, even though Gonzaga lost that game, they lost by three, was pretty clearly a toss-up. The Gonzaga-UCLA situation was not a toss-up. Gonzaga blew the doors off the Bruins in that game. Yeah, they had some health issues, but it was pretty clear who the better team was. Doesn't mean that UCLA is not a top five team. They're very, very good. Doesn't mean that they could not eventually jump Gonzaga should the Zags lose another game. But right now, I don't see how you could put UCLA above Gonzaga. The only teams I think that there's even a shred of an argument for them would be Baylor staying at number one or Auburn potentially jumping up there. But I want to talk about both those situations. For one, Baylor, it's kind of interesting because Gonzaga the strength of their non-conference schedule in a lot of ways is helping and hurting them in some situations, uh, specifically with Baylor. So Baylor, if they stay at number one, what the pollsters are saying effectively is that a loss to Texas Tech is not so debilitating that it knocks them off the number one spot. Effectively, it's an argument in favor of this is how good Texas Tech is, that you can lose to them and not hurt yourself. But the counter argument that Gonzaga fans will rightfully make is, well, we beat them. <laughs> we beat that team by 14. That game, there was very little little time during that game where Gonzaga wasn't clearly going to win. It was surprising how much Gonzaga handled and secured a victory. And yes, some people might say, well, they were missing their best players. They were missing those same exact players against Baylor, and they won. They beat Baylor without Terrence Shannon. They beat Gonzaga or Gonzaga beat Texas Tech when they didn't have Terrence Shannon. That is not a relevant part of this discussion. He wasn't there for either of those games. So I can understand the argument to keep Baylor at number one, but if the if a big part of that is you're hinging on this is how good Texas Tech is, it kind of falls a little flat when you look at the fact that Gonzaga beat that team. They won. They won in that matchup. And then you have Auburn. And Auburn beat Alabama. On Tuesday night, their next game this week is against Oklahoma State. Or excuse me, no, their next game this week is against Ole Miss. Baylor has Oklahoma State. So if they secure a victory there, they have a chance of staying number one. Auburn will get Ole Miss. If Auburn wins both their games and Gonzaga wins both their their games, there's an argument that those are your top two teams in the country, although I don't know if Baylor will drop all the way to three, but those are your three best teams in the country. Auburn fans are likely going to have an argument to say, hey, we want to be number one. We should be number one in the country. But the Bama win isn't going to look all that great because Bama, who was number 24 coming into the game, Bama is probably going to fall out. Now, it doesn't mean it was an unranked victory. They didn't beat an unranked team. They beat the number 24 team in the country, but they're going to be unranked next week. But again, trying to use, if we try to use that argument of like, oh, that's not that great of a win, 
Well, it doesn't, it's kind of an argument that falls flat for Gonzaga fans because as some of you have tried very hard to block out of your memory, Gonzaga lost to Alabama. That was their worst game of the season outside of the Tarleton State debacle. And they, they, they did not shoot well. Alabama shot extremely well in that game and they lost. It's technically a neutral site game, but I was there. It was not really a neutral site game. And, and it, it goes down as a loss that is unfortunately looking worse and worse for Gonzaga. It's still not a bad loss. Alabama is still good. Don't get me wrong. Losing to Auburn is not a, <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're a bad team, but it's not a lot. It's not a victory that, or excuse me, it's not a loss that looks as good now because Alabama is an unranked team. So it's an argument that we can't really use to try to say, well, Auburn doesn't deserve it, blah, 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 because (laughs) their victory over Alabama, whereas we lost Alabama, doesn't really help us very much. One thing I did want to point out, and this is a tweet by the Slipper Still Fits that I saw earlier this morning on Wednesday, is that a lot of people will likely use, this is again, assuming both Gonzaga and Auburn finished this week without any losses. People will use the argument that Auburn won two better games than Gonzaga won. And of course, it goes back to the same argument that is always used constantly to kind of dismiss Gonzaga's accomplishments in that the WCC is weak. And well, yeah, they got two wins, but they got two wins against bad teams or, you know, whatever they people say, JUCO schools or Bible colleges or whatever terms they use because they don't pay attention to what schools are out here. Whereas Auburn got wins over other nice, big SEC schools. Here's the thing. Bama and Ole Miss, assuming Auburn wins both those games, they are currently ranked in Ken Palm as the number 17 team in the country and the number 100 team in the country. Gonzaga is playing BYU and Santa Clara this week. Assuming both wins there, BYU right now 24th in the country per Ken Palm. Santa Clara 83rd. Now, Bama obviously fell a few spots after losing to Auburn. That is a fair argument. But right now, the difference between BYU and Bama is seven seven spots in the rankings and Santa Clara is 17 spots ahead of Ole Miss. So there's a legitimate argument, not even like the, basically a fact that Gonzaga is playing a tougher schedule this week in terms of their two games than Auburn is. So that's not really an argument that's going to fly. Now people are still going to make it. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. They're going to make it and they're not going to listen to Ken Palm rankings or any other system that lets you know that, Hey, Santa Clara is actually better than Ole Miss. There's a better basketball team. BYU is on par with Alabama. It's, I, I think you could, I would probably say that Alabama is better, but it's pretty dang close. And the difference between Santa Clara and Ole Miss is more substantial in my mind and in Ken Palm's mind slash ranking system. It's not really a mind that operates that, but I think that this is going to be an interesting way this shakes out. We've known all along, I've been talking about it on the podcast. It's been talked about at length by national media members and local media members. The WCC is good capital G good. And the, the, the fact that Gonzaga is probably going to take over the top spot in the rankings, or at least be very close to it the week after college football ends and the sec fans are finally turning their attention. You know, the Alabama fans are no longer focused on football. The Auburn fans, you know, they, they had a little bit more time to not be focused on football anymore, but this is kind of the first week where people are really starting to pay attention to college basketball. And if Auburn fans are crying that, Hey, we should be number one, over Ala, or over Gonzaga, a lot of people are going to just automatically assume, well, yeah, Gonzaga doesn't play anybody, so of course they should be. And that's not true. We're getting ahead of it now. We're letting people know it's not true. Auburn's a very good basketball team. They deserve to be a top three spot. If you strongly argue that they deserve to be number one, I would listen to it. It's close. Gonzaga has two losses this year. Auburn does not. Auburn has one. 
It's a really close argument, but using their strength of schedule this week is flawed. Saying Texas Tech is good, so therefore Baylor's loss doesn't matter as much is flawed because Gonzaga beat Texas Tech. There's a strong argument in my mind that Gonzaga should be the number one team in the country. I think it's also reasonable to leave Baylor there. I don't think that that's that bad. I think Baylor, Gonzaga, Auburn, if I had to guess, that's what I think it will be. This is, of course, before the next couple of games, which will potentially change some of that. But I think that's, I think it's reasonable right there. I don't think Auburn should be ahead of Gonzaga. I think it's, I think Gonzaga should probably be number one, but it's going to be really close between Gonzaga and Baylor. We know it all doesn't really matter until March, but I think it's interesting to kind of look at the games that Gonzaga has played in the non-conference, how they've helped and hurt their potential case when looking at uh, what the polls could look like on Monday. All right, that provides a little bit of maybe security for Gonzaga fans who are hopeful. The team will be the number one ranked team in the country. I think it's going to be really close. Of course, we're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to look at the rest of the WCC. We're going to take a look at what games they have coming up and make some predictions for how I think those games might shake out. Before we get there, though, let's talk about NetSuite. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system out there to power your company's growth. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR needs, planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow as a company all in one convenient location. NetSuite lets you automate your processes and close your books in no time while keeping you ahead of your competition. In fact, 93% of businesses surveyed increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash NCAA. Head to netsuite.com slash NCAA for special end-of-the-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're still sticking with the WCC. It's obviously a big week for Gonzaga, BYU, and Santa Clara, two of the top five teams in the conference that the Zags get to square off with their first two-game week in the WCC. Super excited about it. There's a lot of other really good games that are going to happen this week, and I just want to go through each of them. This is a segment I'm hoping to do uh, once per week on uh, preferably on Wednesdays where we can kind of look at what upcoming games there are and kind of discuss how we think those games might play out. We'll start with the Thursday slate. The first game is Portland at San Diego. Uh, not the most exciting game that's going to go down. I think San Diego is probably going to take this one. Uh, again, Portland has struggled to win any games in the WCC uh, for the last couple of seasons. They have turned over a new leaf with coach Shante Leggins. I think they're uh, they're not going to go winless this season in conference play. I can almost guarantee you that. And while San Diego is one of the more beatable teams in the conference on the road for your first WCC game, I'm not going to take the pilots for this one. Next up, St. Mary's at Pepperdine. That's it's going to be a gross one. I thought Pepperdine has not proven they are very capable of scoring the basketball. St. Mary's is very good at preventing teams from scoring. So I think St. Mary's going to win that one. And I don't think it's going to be all that close. And then the most exciting game on Thursday outside of, of course, Gonzaga's game is LMU at San Francisco. I think this is a super fun game. I don't think USF loses on the hilltop at home against LMU, but LMU is sneaky good. 
They're a team that I think is going to play spoiler at some point during conference play. It could be this game, although again, I think probably not, but I, I wouldn't want, I, certainly, certainly San Francisco should not be looking ahead to their BYU game on Saturday. They need to focus on making sure they beat the Lions in this one. And then on Saturday, of course, I already teased it, BYU at San Francisco, an incredibly fun game. San Francisco gets two really good wins to start out the season, but they're at home for both of them. I kind of think, and I I don't want this to be the result, but I think BYU is going to win this one. I think they're going to lose to Gonzaga and they're going to be pissed off and they're going to go down to San Francisco and they're going to sneak a win over the Dons. I think San Francisco is probably a better team and so it's hard to predict them losing at home. But I think this is, I don't think BYU is going to go 0-2 this week. And I don't think they're going to beat Gonzaga, so they got to beat somebody. Uh, Pacific at St. Mary's, another really gross game. The, the Gales get two relatively easy wins to start off conference players, to start off this week of conference play after, of course, losing to BYU. They get Pepperdine and Pacific this week. I think they'll be pretty cleanly 2-0 by the time Monday rolls around. Portland is at Pepperdine. I kind of think Portland might take this one. Again, I'm picking the road team here and the road team that is ranked lower, at least according to Ken Palm. But again, I I think the Pilots, they get San Diego and Pepperdine for their first week, two of their easier games. Yes, they're playing them on the road, but I think they might sneak this one here uh, against the Waves. And then last but not least, LMU at San Diego. I got to take the Lions here. I I think San Diego is an okay team. They got a decent amount of size. They got a lot of transfers. They seem to be starting to gel at around the right t- the right time. But LMU is really good. Eli Scott is an absolute machine. He's a mini Draymond Green. You've heard that comp before from me, from Tuck, from other people who have been on the podcast. But it's really true. That's the style that he plays. I think he's going to be a wrecking ball. And I'm not sure the Toreros are capable of handling him. All right, that is going to do it for today. I cannot wait for the Gonzaga-BYU game, of course, on Thursday. I will be chatting throughout the game on Twitter. You can follow me there at ScoreZagScore. If you do not already, happy to interact with you there. Plenty of coffee for that day. It's going to be a late one, 8 p.m. tip-off on the West Coast. So for anybody who's not on the West Coast, it's going to be real late. I will be recording after the game. So it's going to be nice and dark and quiet here when that podcast tips off. All right here, of course, on Locked on Zags, available wherever you get your podcasts, available on YouTube as well. Hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Finally, thanks again to those of you who make this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked on Bets podcast. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening and go Zags.